We're continuing on, though, in this series in 1 John. The series is called Verified because we're talking about what does it look like to, to be and to know that you are a legitimate Christian, a legitimate follower of Jesus. We've been working through the book of 1 John, and as we've been doing it, we've been reminded of some of the tests that John gives, some of these reminders that we're truly, we follow Jesus, we're changed by Jesus, we're running after Jesus, we're committed to the people of Jesus, all of these things that verify that we are followers of Christ. It brings up a topic or uh, kind of a, a realm of theology, if you will, uh, that, that falls under this category of like assurance of faith or eternal security, the perseverance of the saints. It's something that comes up in the book of 1 John quite a bit. And today, we're actually going to lean into that quite a bit today. Uh, but this is a real question for us. And I want to reiterate that at LifePoint, we believe wholeheartedly, we cling really tightly to the idea that once you are saved, you are always saved. You cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand, is what the Bible says. We believe once you are saved, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. We believe that and we hold to that firmly. But let's be real. We've seen people that seem to profess faith in Jesus. They walked with the Lord, it seemed like. They were a part of a church, maybe, and since have just walked away, maybe even denounced it altogether, even gone so far as to promote things that are opposed to the things of God. Uh, there was a couple guys that I, went to, uh, that I went to college with, and they were a couple years older than me, so I didn't spend a ton of time with them, but we were a part of the same campus ministry, and these guys were like significant leaders in this campus ministry. They, they led on a high level. They actually, after graduating from college, came on staff with this campus ministry for several years, and these dudes were like a ton of fun, like they, life of every room that they were in, like, like hilarious guys, all that kind of stuff, and so they actually ended up finding a, a vocation, a career, their money-making didn't come through ministry. Uh, they stepped out of that ministry at one point uh, a few years after college and started going the YouTube route, right? And so to this day, now they've got millions of subscribers on YouTube and on social media, people following them from all over the world. Millions of them literally uh, built this channel and this whole personality thing, moved out to LA a few years ago with their families, started a TV show, all this stuff blew up. And these guys that I went to college with were like heavy into ministry, leading ministry, on staff with a ministry. And last year, these two guys came out and basically said, nah, we never really believed it. It's not real. We don't hold to that anymore. These are guys with millions of followers and said, yeah, we did that for a little while, but we don't, we don't believe that anymore. They denounced their faith in Jesus publicly for millions of people, tens of millions of people. And these weren't just church-going guys. These were ministry staff guys. You know, maybe you've experienced something similar where you've had a relationship with somebody that professed faith in Jesus, and then a month or a year or a decade or more later seemed to just walk away from it all maybe denounce it altogether. Maybe it was a family member, right? Maybe it was somebody that was a part of this church with you, right? They had all the LP gear. They had the shirts, the hats. You know, they rocked all of it. Maybe they even had a live scent tattoo. I don't know, but they, they had all of it, right? And, and, and then one day they just, they're MIA. We can't find them anymore. You, you don't know where they've been. Maybe it's a family member, that somebody really, really close to you. 
a student that in high school, man, every Wednesday they're at church and then, man, they, they've dipped out since. They were serving and they were a part of Bible studies, you know. I mean, I've, I've sat with people who have wept over the gospel and then simply walked away from the church, from Jesus altogether. What, what, what's happening when that takes place? If we hold to this idea that once you're saved, you're always saved, why on earth would somebody walk away? How could somebody walk away? Well, in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at 18 through 27, verses 18 through 27 this morning. We're going to address that very, very thing. How is it that someone could just walk away? And what is it that we can cling to to ensure us, to give us confidence that we will not walk away? So in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, we find a question of sorts that it's not in those words, but that I want to from those words put forth for us today, and it's this, are you with us? And I don't mean are you with us in the sense of life point. Are you with us in the sense of following Jesus? Are you with us? Are you, are you in? Is Jesus the name on the front of your jersey? Are you with us? You know, what John does in these verses is he gives a little bit of explanation. He takes some time to explain and define some terms for us. But then he comes alongside of, which which is what John does over and over in this letter. After kind of punching somebody in the face, he comes alongside and puts his arm around them to bring comfort to them. But then he closes these verses with a bit of a warning for us of what we ought to be looking to for direction in our lives. And so we're going to look at this this morning. You know, just as a reminder, the book of 1 John Literally, John gives us the reason why he wrote the book. In chapter 5, he says that I wrote this, that you would know that you are in the faith. Today, followers of Jesus hearing this, I want you to be reminded that you are in the faith. John writes these words, and I proclaim these things, that you would know that you are in the faith and that you would hold tightly to it. Let's pick up in verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says this, children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, and therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You know, he explains two things to us here in these first three verses. He explains, first of all, who are the antichrists of the age that he's talking about, but I think also gives us enough context to understand what are the antichrists of sorts in our own age. But then he goes on to explain in verse 20 what it is that keeps someone persevering to to not fall into this trap of running from the things that you have professed. And so he explains first, who are the antichrists? And then what is it that makes a believer to persevere? So first he says, these are the antichrists. In verse 18, he says, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, the antichrist is coming. But then he says, so now many antichrists have come. He's saying present tense when he wrote this. And I think it's present tense for us as well. Many antichrists has come. What he's saying is that there's false teachers that have risen up from among you, from not, not from like somewhere in some weird, obscure place in the world, but they've actually come up from among you, from people that went to church, right? 
He's saying the Antichrists aren't some, some little guys running around in red suits with like a pitchfork and horns and a tail, right? They don't have a T-shirt on that says, hey, look at me, I'm an Antichrist. It's not like that. He's saying that they were among you. They were around you, church people, but they've gone out from you. They've gone out from you, which means that they were with you at one point. And essentially what he's saying is that there are those who were around you but were never one of you, and they've now left you. And what are they doing? Well, they're teaching something that's not true. They're proclaiming something that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. They're, they're, they're prophesying in the name of themselves. They're, they're proclaiming things that counteract or contradict the things of God. In a sense, what they're saying is that I've come up with some new knowledge. And if you want it, come with me. But it's not in the church. It's over here with me. And he's saying that these people have risen up from among you. And they went out from you because they were never truly of you. They were never like you. They were never truly ones who would follow Christ. So this idea of these antichrists is those that, it's not that they've lost their salvation, it's that they never had it to begin with. They never had it to begin with because those of us who have trusted in Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are kept by the grace of God, we are kept, we are held secure. Nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. We are kept for eternity, not just for hard circumstances in this life. We are kept forever and forever and forever in eternity with God, that we are kept with him. And he says that outwardly they looked the part, but they were never truly of us. They have taught this, they've begun to teach this sort of schizophrenic theology of who Christ is. They, they are ones that are now against the cause of Christ, though once they appeared to be for the cause of Christ. They are uh, no longer believing in the work of Christ, even though once they had said that they believed in the work of Christ. They no longer believe that Christ is the means of making right our relationship with God, even though once they were among a group of people who hold fast to that. They have this changing, this shifting view and belief about who Jesus is which ultimately raises the reality for us that the greatest counteracting, right, the greatest combat to them is to, for us who follow Jesus to have a good, healthy theology of the person and work of Jesus Christ. How do we identify those that are going out from us with a, a new way of doing things other than to know the right way of doing things? You know, John says that there are many of them, and I believe there's many of them in our day. I'm not saying that there's many of them in this room right now, but I believe there's many of these people in our day who once seemed to be professors of Jesus. They were among church people. They were around church people and since have walked out and denounced it all together and said, no, there is another way and it is better. Much like these YouTube guys that I just talked about a moment ago. There are many of these in our day and everybody's got a platform now too, right? So many are becoming more and more public about this. Well, I believe John is reminding them that these people were never one of you. They never truly trusted Jesus. They never put their hope in the cross. 
You know, and then in verse 20, what he does is he sort of turns a little bit and he goes from reminding them who these antichrists are, explaining that to them, to explaining to them why some don't walk away, why some of us stay and, and are firm and are secure and are assured in who we are in Christ. And he says that the reason that happens in verse 20, he says this, but you, not like them, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. He's saying you know these things, but more than that, you've been anointed, which just means this. It's not like you've had a bunch of oil poured on your head, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that this, you've been anointed, meaning you have the Spirit of God now living in you. And because of that, you have all the things that you need for life and godliness. And because of that, you are not like them. And you can hold secure to that. What is it then that keeps us from wandering off like some have done? It is the Spirit of God alive in us that keeps us from that. He's explaining to them that it is a true Christian who is born of God that will never run away, that will never denounce the things of God, will never try to disprove the reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But those who have felt free to leave, those are the ones that were never truly of us. You see, you can be on the membership list of a church, but not be in the book of life. We can kind of work our way into being a part of a church. You can't work your way into being a part of the family of God. See, the church is the family of God. Family's messy, isn't it? <laughs> you know, sometimes people walk away from the church because they don't like the people in the church. But who of us got to choose our family? Who of us doesn't get irritated with some of the people in our family sometimes? Don't lie. Every one of you do. I do. I get irritated with myself. <laughs> we don't get to choose the family. <laughs> God chose the family for us. And he chose us to be a part of the family. The church, you know, it's a place where we get irritated. And sometimes we get a little unhappy or we have some, some broken things that we have to fix. But it's like, it's like sandpaper that kind of smooths out the rough edges of our souls. We need it. But some have walked away not because the sandpaper was a little too rough, but because they were never truly of us. So he explains who the Antichrists are. And you know, a little explanation sometimes brings things to light for us, doesn't it? Right? Have you ever been in an environment where you were a little bit confused and somebody took the time to explain what was going on to you and all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Right? This is what John's trying to do. This, this happened for me Friday night. Uh, I was at one of my son's baseball games and um, there was a call that an umpire made that Half of the people in attendance didn't agree with, right? And so it happened to be my son's team and all of his coaches, and I'll throw myself in the mix. Okay, I'm a little bit guilty. I got a little upset. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, but all, we, we were like, what in the world's going on? This is something I'd never seen happen in the game of baseball before, never once in my life. And so I was going, no, there's no way. That can't be right. That can't be right. It, it doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? And so after a lot of back and forth between umpires and coaches and a lot of parents, I wasn't the loudest, I promise, but I, was, I said a couple things. They weren't like, it was all PG, I promise. Okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't lose my salvation Friday night, okay? Um, 
But, but all this back and forth, and the umpire walks over towards my son's coaches, and he, loud enough for everybody else to hear, begins to explain what he saw and what he was reacting to and what rule he was basing his decision off of. And I'm not going to lie. I sat there and went, that makes sense. <laughs> now, I still disagree with the call, just in principle, right? <laughs> I can't give him that. Um, I still think he was wrong. But once he explained it, it kind of made sense to me where he was coming from, what he was talking about, why he made the decision that he made. This is what John's doing here. He's kind of pausing to explain to us who are these people that have gone out from you and what is it that is keeping you, follower of Jesus, what is it that is keeping you secure and assured in who you are in Christ? So he gives this explanation to them, but then he goes on and he, he kind of walks up to the believer and he puts his arm around him for a moment and gives some comfort to them. Look with me at verses 21 through 25. It says this, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He comes alongside to comfort them and say, listen, listen. He abides in you. He dwells in you. That anointing that you have, the Spirit of God alive in you, makes you to believe the right things about Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father himself. The Spirit's at work in you, making your eyes open to understand these things. And you can find comfort in this reality. And he goes so far as to make a statement that not only do you have the truth, but you know the truth. You know, absolute truth is one of those things that I think is really has become a target in our world, right? It's one of those things being attacked over and over and over and over because it's, it's very insensitive and unloving and unsympathetic to say that you believe something that is absolutely true when it contradicts things that other people believe. It's a target in our world today. Right? And many are beginning to wonder if really Christians can continue to stand in the public space and proclaim these things that we say are absolute truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ and the only, him being the only way to God and continue to do that without being punished for it. You know, absolute truth is a target for us. And I think it must have been for them too because John says, you know the truth. You know the truth. You know it, he says. It sounds like he believed in absolute truth, that he believed he knew that you could be right. He says there's nothing wrong with holding to absolute truth. He's actually encouraging it here. Now, that's different than acting like a complete you know, moron, being a jerk to someone over a political disagreement. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying that you can be confident in the absolute truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you can hold to that for your salvation. You can have confidence in your salvation. You can have confidence that the work of God is alive in you through the Spirit of God in you. 
saying you can have confidence in that and you can hold to that absolute truth. And when it boils down to it, what he's saying is that right doctrine matters. You have to hold to the right things, right? He says, whoever uh, denies the son does not have the father. If you deny Jesus, you don't get God the father, which means if you deny Jesus, you don't get eternal life with God. There's no other pathway there. All streams don't lead to heaven. He's saying there's only one way that you have to have the son in order to get the father. And then the byproduct of that is that anointing that he talks about is that you have the son, you get the father, and you get the spirit too, and he's going to be alive in you. And have comfort in this, believer. Have comfort in this. You know, there's a very common view in our world right now that if you're just sincere, it's all good. Right? You know, this, this story played out for me very personally and, and my own brother, who as a, as a teenager, you know, got baptized, said he was following Jesus, pretty sure it was for a girl, not judging you if you did that, not saying you lost your salvation or anything like that, right? Plenty of people have done that. Um, but he since has denounced all of it. But he'll very openly say to me, man, I respect your views. Would you just respect mine? And just be real, just be sincere, and it's all good. Let me ask you a question. If you sincerely believe that a vial of poison is medicine, and you drink it, will it prevent it from killing you? No. No. Just because we hold to it or believe it doesn't make it true. So being sincere is great. Be real. Be honest. That's awesome. But be willing to be tried. Be willing to be tested we can't live in this kind of ethereal world of ideas where there's nothing that's concrete. We all end up sinking. John's reminding them that they have something that they have believed in that they can hold on to. We must understand the gospel. You see, the world has a different theology, but we must understand and hold to the gospel. We must hold to it, and he's reminding them of that as a means of, of comfort for their souls, that they can cling to the truth of who God is, of who the Father is, of who the Son is, of how the Spirit of God is alive in them. And as they recall that, he says to them, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life, that nothing can snatch that from you, nothing can take you from God, that you have the promise of eternal life, when you have the Son, you have the Father, and you get the Spirit, nothing can take that from you. And he says, find comfort in that. But as John often does, <laughs> he kind of circles back with a warning. And he warns them in the last couple verses of this text, verse 26 and 27, he says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He said, I've been writing this because I want you to know these people that are deceiving you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just that as, as it has taught you, abide in him. You know, he 
wraps up this portion of the text with a warning to say, listen, (laughs) don't get too high on yourself here. Don't become so comfortable that you get lazy. Don't become so comfortable that you get lazy. Have you ever done that in your life before? Right? You got so comfortable that you got lazy. And what happens when we get lazy is the stuff that we don't want in creeps back in. When we get lazy, the stuff that we've tried to kind of bleed out and to kill in our lives, it starts to, to creep back in. Right? We've got natural areas at my house, right? And it's like if we leave them alone for very long at all, it's just like overtaken with weeds. Right? You have to work those things constantly to keep those things from creeping back in. You can pull them at the root, but somehow or another they multiply. It's like the flies in my house. I've still been trying to figure this out since I moved to Middle Tennessee three and a half years ago. Why are there so many flies in my house? I just don't get it. That's like they multiply. I can't get rid of them. Right? I totally digress there. I apologize. But, but the idea here is that we can't grow so comfortable that we become lazy because this stuff, the junk, the things we don't want, it just creeps back into our lives. And so he warns them not to grow so comfortable that they become lazy. And he says to them, this anointing that you've received, this gift of the Holy Spirit that you have received is a good thing for you. And it's a gift because it will now help you to discern between what is true and what is not, between what is of God and what is of the world, between what is true about Jesus and what is false about Jesus, what's what's real about the person and work of Jesus Christ, our beliefs about Jesus and what is not real and what is not true and what we cannot cling to, what we can hold to tightly and what we must let go of, what we can build our life and security on and what we cannot what is sinking sand, and what is the rock that we can build our house on. He's saying the Spirit of God at work in you is enough for everything that you need. Even so much, he says, is that you don't need a bunch of teaching. Which leaves maybe a couple of y'all going, why am I here today? (laughs) Why am I listening to this dude? Well, What he's saying here is the Spirit of God, when it's alive and at work in us, it's able to help us to discern in the teaching that we hear. You know, 1 Peter tells us that everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ, which means everything we need to grow in godliness, God gives us by his spirit, including the ability to discern between the teachings that we hear, those things that are of God and fit with the word of God and those things that do not. He's not saying saying you don't need to ever listen to teaching. He's saying that everything you need in your life, God will give to you. That you don't need to chase these far-off teachings to try to get some new secret knowledge. He's saying everything you need, the Spirit of God will give to you. You know, in verse 24, kind of looking back, he says... Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. Twice in that verse, he references back to the apostles' teachings. What he's trying to reiterate here is that the Spirit of God helps us understand the Word of God so that we can discern those things that are not of God. The Spirit of God helps us to discern or to understand the word of God so that we can discern those things that are not of God. You know, if you look to the wrong thing to understand a situation, you can end up all upside down, right? 
Yesterday, I had a toilet go bad in my house. I had to replace some of like the, the inner parts of it, right? Which is kind of gross, I know. I washed my hands afterwards, I promise. Um, but I, I went and bought this part at the hardware store. And here's the deal. I, if I would have pulled out the instructions for how to pair my phone with a Bluetooth speaker to try to put that part in my toilet, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I've got to look to the right place for the right instructions in order to do the things that I'm called to do, right? Same thing in life. If I don't look to the right place to understand my reality, to understand how I ought to live, to understand what's going on in the world, then I'm going to be all flipped upside down and confused. This is why the world is so upside down right now. It's because it's looking everywhere but Christ to find answers to things that only Christ can give us answers to. It's not because of just medical issues or political issues or social issues. It's because of a spiritual issue. People are lost and without Jesus, and they're looking elsewhere to find solutions that only Jesus brings. We've got to look to the right place. And he's saying, I've put the spirit of God in you so that you can understand the word of God. And then because of that, be able to discern the things that are not of God. So he warns them. He warns them, don't grow comfortable. Rely on the spirit of God. Measure the things in the world by the word of God. Measure them rightly so that you can discern these things that are not of God. You know, I think, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but where you, uh, you maybe you read a book, watched a television show or something, or a series or a movie and thought, is that a documentary? It was intended to be fiction, but it seems like what's happening in the world right now, I feel like over the last six months, there's been several shows I've been like, hold on, did they, did they like know what was going to happen like two years later or three years later, four years later? How, how did they know that, right? It, it sort of feels like we're living in what John is talking about right now, doesn't it? Where there are many who have gone out from us. Statistics that I've read most recently in the last few days have said that 30 to 40% of church attenders have re-engaged. Praise God that's not true of us. Many have gone out from us. Many. There's all kinds of new ideas and new, new thoughts about who Jesus is and, and what the way to enlightenment or righteousness or hope or peace is all kinds of ways for that all over the place. And there's all kinds of questions for those of us that trust in Jesus right now. It's all kinds of reasons to doubt that the world is throwing at us. And we need something to hold, hold on to. We need something to grip. We need something for security. We need something for assurance. And the Bible says that that assurance is found trusting in the person and work of Jesus. And when we do, the Spirit of God comes to live in us and remind us over and over and over and over that we are His. We are His. So when we're faced with the question, are you with us? Meaning, are we with Christ? You know, if the answer is no, these words from 1 John today ought to be a warning. A warning to say that chasing these things that you think will bring hope are empty. They will leave you wanting more. But for those of us that have trusted in Jesus, these words from 1 John ought to bring comfort to us 
to say you have something to cling to. The Spirit of God is alive in you, giving you understanding of the Word of God because you've trusted in the work and the person of Jesus Christ so you can discern between what's true and what's not true in the world so that you can understand and be reminded that nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. There's a reason for assurance. There's a reason for security. And he says you can cling to these things, believer. And so today, are you with Christ? Are you with us? You know, if not, here's what I would say to you. (laughs) Don't go looking out there. Don't go looking on here. Don't, Don't go chasing some feeling or some person. Don't go chasing some new idea. You know, we love new ideas right now. We love new ideas. We want new information. But the reality is, is that we have something that is ageless that we can rely on. It's the truth of God's word. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. It's the person and work of Christ who, who being, took on the form of man. He put on flesh and he came and he lived like us. He lived on this earth. He walked the earth. He lived a life that none of us could live. It was perfect. It was without sin. But then yet died a death that every single one of us ever conceived deserve in order to take the punishment By dying on a cross, being tortured on a cross, he would take the punishment that those of us who would trust in him, he would pay for our sin. And then he would go to a grave and be really dead for three days, come back to life, defeating sin and death and hell, being victorious over those things so that all who trust in him could be victorious over those things too through him. And then have the spirit of God come alive in us to understand the word of God and discern the things of God and the things that are not of God in this world. Believer this morning, that should bring us comfort. But those of you that don't know Jesus, hear me. Don't live under the warning. Step into comfort. Step into security. Step into assurance. What joy there is for us there. Let's pray together. God, we recognize this morning that what we need, ultimately, God, what we need is you. And so today, Father, I pray that we would not look to anything else in this room or in this world for hope, that we would not look to people, that we would not look to feelings, that we would not look to experiences, that we would not look to uh, uh, stuff, that we wouldn't look to anything, Father, but that we would look to you for the hope and the security and the assurance we need. God, for those in this room that hear the words of 1 John and go, I long to be assured, God. Would they see, would you open their eyes this morning to see that it is their sin that has separated them from you, that their love for the things of this world that has separated them from you. But God, you will bring them back. You will buy them back. And it's by faith in the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sin. By faith in his work, Father, that you would bring them to life. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring life in them today. God, for those those in this room, God, I pray for those of us that have trusted in Jesus, that in this moment now, God, that your breath would remind us of the life that we have in Christ. The assurance that we have 
in his finished work on the cross and his defeating death and hell and sin forever. That we would be reminded that nothing can snatch us out of your hand. And Father, there is no place that we can run to be separated from your presence, Father. Even the grave only brings us closer to you. God, would we cling to that with great assurance today? Yes, God, may it convict us where there's sin in our lives to, to, to repent. God, may it draw us to greater trust, greater love of you because we belong to you and nothing can change that. So God, would you awaken hearts today? And would you comfort souls today? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And as we stand and sing, I want you to consider that question. Who are you with? Are you with us? Are you with Jesus? And if you're not, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can text, I believe you can text the word Jesus, 615-551-9800. You can just stop and talk to us afterwards. And we'd love to talk with you what about what it means to find security and hope in Jesus Christ. But believer in the room today, I pray that as we sing these words that we belong to Jesus, they would not just be words that we sing, that you would be encouraged by these words, that you would exhort the people around you with your voice as you sing these words, and there would be great comfort in knowing that we are his. Let's sing together.